Hi, welcome to Transition Talk on-site. This is episode two, a podcast by Accenture, where it's all about our energy needs in the future. My name is Harmen. My name is Lonneke Tabak. I'm the Energy Transition Services Lead at Accenture in the Netherlands. Lonneke, what do I see? Well, we are currently at the Europort. That's an industrial port area in Rotterdam. And we see two big circular white buildings with dome-shaped roofs. They're ginormous. Yeah, they're very, very big. And what's there inside of this dome? Um, we are at the ammonia import terminal in Rotterdam. So these are ammonia storage tanks. Why are we here, Lonneke? Well, we are going to talk about how to incentivize sustainable hydrogen. So you might be wondering why we are at the ammonia import terminal. What's the connection? Well, ammonia is actually one of the best ways to transport hydrogen over longer distances. So in the future, it might be that you create hydrogen in a sustainable way abroad. For instance, in, let's say, Australia, you convert it into ammonia and then you transport it here. And it might be imported and stored in tanks like these. The reason that ammonia is a better way to transport hydrogen is that when you transport hydrogen over longer distances, you need to cool it to minus 253 degrees centigrade. Which is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot and it costs a lot of energy. When you convert it into ammonia, of course you lose some energy in the conversion step, but you only need to cool it to minus 33 degrees centigrade. So that costs a lot less energy. Uh, and therefore ammonia is a good way to transport hydrogen. So we're looking at a solution of transportation of hydrogen. Exactly, and you already see that they are expanding here. Uh, you see there are currently two storage tanks, and this is the only ammonia import terminal in the port of Rotterdam at the moment. But as you can see, they're busy expanding the area to um, prepare themselves for importing larger quantities of hydrogen in the form of ammonia in the future. Yeah, you're pointing at that place. There are tubes there. There is this little building with construction workers. Exactly. So it's even getting better here. Yeah, they're preparing to import larger quantities of sustainable energy. Okay, Lonneke, thank you very much. Um, but who did you bring to talk about this subject? Well, these storage tanks are owned by a company called OCI. OCI? OCI, yes. They um, use the ammonia as a feedstock. So it doesn't necessarily need to be cracked back to hydrogen because as you might imagine when you create ammonia out of hydrogen and then hydrogen again out of the ammonia you lose energy at every conversion step. So if you can use the ammonia directly that will save you the conversion loss. So OCI uses ammonia for instance to make fertilizer. So I invited Han Nguyen. She is the vice president of sustainability at OCI Global. Mm -hmm. And of course, Han is the best person herself to explain what the position of OCI is in the sustainable hydrogen value chain and what she does. So I suggest we go inside and she sees there. Here we are, the three of us in the boardroom on the plant. Han, you're with us now. Um, nice having you here. Can you introduce yourself a little bit more? 
Yeah, sure. I'm um, Heng Nguyen. I'm a, a vice president of sustainability at uh, OCI. Uh, I've been with the company for a year and a half uh, now, and uh, I've been oh, actually coming on two years. Uh, and uh, I'm responsible for the sustainability strategy, but also the implementation of that strategy. Uh, and at the core of it, our strategy is about decarbonization, uh, but also about supplying um, the so sustainable solutions to customers that help them decarbonize as well. And what makes you proud to work for your for this company right now? What attracted me to OCI was the fact that you know it is in the middle of uh, this uh, energy transition, right? Uh, and you know, as you see around today, I mean, it's really about building big things. Uh, and uh, OCI really big things, uh, really big things. yes. Yeah, so the, uh, as OCI uh, with the uh, heritage of uh, being able to build big things. So if you look at the history of OCI, it's a company that uh, basically. Uh, you know, reinvent itself a few times, right? Uh, so it was construction, uh, uh, started as a construction company in Egypt, uh, grown into the cement industry and quickly, you know, within 10 years, uh, went from zero to 45 million tons of cement, right? Uh, through very difficult geographies in the Middle East and North Africa, even, you know, um, the uh, Iraq or Syria. And it Syria. changed all the time. Uh, and it's changed, you know, the we exited the cement business um, in the, around two 2008 and started to invest only in 2008 in the first chemical plan. So that is the uh, ammonia plan and fertilizer plan in uh, Egypt. And since then, uh, we have now expanded into um, uh, five countries with uh, nine plants. Uh, and we are the number three uh, nitrogen fertilizer producer globally and number five in methanol. And um, the also very proud to be the largest biomethanol producer globally as well. And I think the number one here in Rotterdam with ammonia, isn't it? Uh, well, so we are, well, we are the only one. So, <laughs> oh, the only one. <laughs> so yeah. that's also number yeah. one. Yeah. 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 And what about the tanks here? We, we are here in Rotterdam. Can you, can you explain, elaborate a bit more about the position of, of this place? Well, I think yeah. maybe there are some remarks to be made about the Netherlands, right? The Netherlands ha has some comparative advantages that led to a flourishing high-tech uh, industry, right? Industrial sector. And... That's because, amongst other things, we are in a great geographical location. We have regulatory stability, access to a highly educated workforce. And last but not least, um, we had, have had the privilege to have a local supply uh, of natural gas. But with the uh, affordability and availability of natural gas currently under pressure, given the geopolitical situation and exactly and also the supply from Groningen uh, uh, going down um, it is important to also start looking at alternatives because it is unlikely that affordability and availability of natural gas will return in full compared to the situation as it was before but can we keep that unique position well i think this is a, a, an argument to start pivoting to sustainable alternatives now because pivoting to sustainable alternatives now will help to um, uh, uh, decrease our dependency from foreign powers and also improve our energy import deficit. And thereby, this may very well help to improve the long-term stability and competitiveness of the Dutch economy. And Han, how do you see the role of OCI in the energy transition? Yeah. So as I uh, mentioned before, uh, we found ourselves in a pretty exciting place uh, at the center of the energy transition, right? Um, because uh, uh, and because of the uh, both because of the um, 
uh, fact that we are in an um, energy-intensive industry, per se, but also the products that we're making are also really good carriers for um, hydrogens, right? Uh, so ammonia and methanol, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but basically are consuming about uh, 50% of the hydrogen produced uh, globally. Um, so as such, you know, if you really want to um, uh, decarbonize hydrogen, you start with ammonia and methanol. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at the role of, uh, of hydrogen as uh, you know the new energy vector uh, going forward, uh, you also need to have uh, a, a, an effective carrier right, for hydrogen. And uh, both ammonia and methanol are uh, good ones. So, I mean, we're sitting here at the, uh, the, our ammonia terminal, and uh, this is, uh, you know, we, we have been uh, moving uh, or transporting ammonia. Uh, we build this terminal uh, because we want to be able to import uh, ammonia from other places uh, because, uh, you know, for example, our, our production facilities in the Middle East and North Africa, like Algeria or Egypt, or even or also from the U.S. Um, and uh, with that, you know, uh, ammonia can be, um, uh, it, it's quite energy dense. It's quite um, energy dense. We, we know how to transport it long distance. And methanol is something that you could uh, transport, uh, you know, at room temperature, stable. It comes, it, it comes from far. So, so, so you need to transport it in the most cheapest way to say it. And yeah. that's, what you, that's what you can do with ammonia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you look at hydrogen, right, um, the conventional way that people make hydrogen today um, is uh, using natural gas or fossil sources like coal or... Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so with natural gas, for example, you use a process called steam methane reforming, uh, and that you convert the natural gas into uh, hydrogen and also uh, 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 a carbon, right? See uh, the carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide. Um, so then uh, you know the, that that's the let's say the most energy intensive, but also the most uh, polluting part. Mm -hmm. uh, and currently, uh, the most common way, right? Because yes. currently, ninety nine percent of mm -hmm. the hydrogen that's used is made in this process of steam methane reforming. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, not far from here, you probably at the Pernis uh, uh, Shell refinery. I mean, refinery is the other 50% of the demand, right, for hydrogen. Um, so, I mean, uh, if you look at the, the production of methanol and ammonia, the most um, um, uh, emission-intensive part is this part of making hydrogen, right? So just to put that in perspective. Yeah, to make it in a sustainable way. Yeah. So to, to th there are uh, different pathways uh, to do this right and uh, you know we we like to, uh, the and, and I think this is quite uh, general but uh, we try to simplify it uh, so <laughs> if you look yeah, at the, at three three uh, three main pathways mm -hmm. um, uh, so the first one called the green pathway and uh, that is uh, using uh, um, the uh, electric renewable electricity uh, in uh, to fit into a process called electrolysis uh, mm -hmm. to split water basically you know water is h2o so you can split the hydrogen out from the uh, oxygen uh, and uh, so that would produce basically a uh, uh, carbon-free um, hydrogen molecule, right? So the, that is uh, um, the, uh, it's a technology that is, you know, it's been around for a long time. I mean, you look at the history, it's, it's been around for 100 years, right? But it's had not been very focused. Um, the, uh, uh, it's not been a lot focused on development of this technology until maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah, because um, it was cheaper to produce hydrogen in another way with steam methane reforming, right? Yes. Yeah. But now it's that's of course shifting. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. So in some way, you know, it's, it's an old but now being revived and improved upon, right? Because there's still a lot of things that you can do to make it. The, it's, it's still a lot more expensive, right? As uh, as an approach, because uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's uh, still need to go to that scale. I mean, you have um, you know hundreds or thousands of steam methane reformers, uh, yeah, big you, factories, right? But you choose the most sustainable way. Uh, well, and the second pathway, uh, the, the second pathway is called uh, we call the blue pathway, right? So it's still relying on uh, uh, natural gas uh, in steam methane reforming, uh, but uh, uh, we would capture and store that uh, CO2 underground. Um, and uh, with that technology, um, and uh, you know, and if you use uh, uh, an even more um, advanced or, or innovative uh, uh, reforming method, which is called autothermal reforming, mm -hmm. uh, you could capture even you know 95% of the CO2 CO2 emission. Uh, so with that, you know, the uh, hydrogen that you produce could have even, you know, 70% uh, um, uh, lower carbon intensity compared to the uh, the average, right? Um, so that's a, the second pathway. The third one, uh, we call it the circular pathway. Um, so there you're looking at, you know, feedstock that are today considered waste, uh, but there are uh, different approaches that you could turn that into feedstock or, or materials again, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for example, um, in the in the U.S. or also here in the Netherlands, uh, what we do is that we buy uh, buy biogas uh, from uh, biodigester from manure, or in the U.S. you also have landfills uh, where they cap the landfills and then collect all the methane uh, gases, right? So these are then from biogenic sources um, that otherwise would emit into the atmosphere, right? So we do in some way killing two birds with one stone, right? <laughs> so when you stop uh, methane from entering the atmosphere, which have a greenhouse gas warming effect of uh, um, uh, I think 34 times of CO2 um, and uh, and then um, the, you know to use that uh, gas right in a short cycle biogenic CO2 uh, emission so that's also another way to significantly reduce um, the the carbon intensity of the hydrogen that you make mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, the another approach is using gasification um, of uh, uh, biomass or of uh, uh, municipal solid waste right um, so that uh, isn't a quite effective approach to then uh, uh, release back let's say the base component from the waste uh, right that uh, otherwise go into incineration um, that also release uh, co2 into the atmosphere so. and this actually ties in really nicely to the podcast episode we have recorded last month we mm, were at a yeah. digester um, where uh, methane was made from cow manure yeah. and there we mainly discussed injecting the methane into the gas grid so that's mm -hmm. of course another application yeah. and for heating the built yeah. environment no but actually we, we we take the gas from the grid the grid as well right so that's what we of say course. yeah it, it's yeah. Uh, it's a mass balance approach uh, sure. right so we, yeah. uh, we we see that you know it's, it's uh, <coughs> an older discussion that we have uh, you see that there's uh, often the theme that come back is you know how do you utilize the existing infrastructure that mm -hmm. is uh, uh, set up for let's say the fossil based um, uh, energy or feedstock, right? Uh, but to utilize it, uh, uh, to convert it, and, and you can, right? And I think uh, that it is uh, also important to be able to do that because uh, it lower the cost uh, and um, the, uh, speed up the, the process. We got these two big tanks here just around the corner. You're making a third one because you are planning to import more ammonia and hydrogen from abroad. Where, where does it come from? 
So when it um, the so today, for example, if you look at the globally, right? Uh, there's a few places. If you look at green uh, hydrogen, there's a uh, a few places. Uh, I reckon not not too few, but you know that there's uh, places uh, where you have very good cost advantage, right? Um, and this is uh, ideally uh, places with a really good combination of wind and solar, uh, and of course space to build the the renewable electricity, right? So for example, you know a country like Egypt, uh, you you um, uh, of course you, you think about sunshine. But it also is a really excellent wind source, right? Uh, yes, it has really great wind speed, and um, most of the you know it's a 90 million people population, but uh, they most of the people live on maybe two percent of the land. Mm -hmm. So oh, there's a, a lot, lot of, space. of space, right? That you could build. Similarly, you look at uh, but still uh, it's far away, and now it's 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 getting easier to get it here because um, of the ammonium. Yes, exactly. So I think that you know when when you think about the logistic of uh, being able to transport ammonia from uh, sorry hydrogen from uh, uh, places like Egypt or Chile or uh, Namibia, right, or Australia, um, uh, ammonia is a much better uh, uh, vector to to transport it rather than uh, hydrogen alone, right? Lonica, you're nodding. Is this this is this is the central point, isn't it? Yes, it's also what we discussed briefly when we were outside in the beginning. Um, it is unlikely that in Northern Europe we will have sufficient renewable energy to also create hydrogen here um, to be completely self-sustainable. So therefore we will still be relying partly on imports from other regions like the ones that Han is currently mentioning. So we talked a bit about the scale and the throughput uh, and the expansion plans here. But can you explain a little bit, like, um, what's the scale OCI uh, thinks they can achieve in realizing these sustainable pathways to create sustainable end products? Yeah, no, um, th uh, I think that's also the timing aspect of this, right? I think uh, when we talk, uh, going back to the three pathways that we discuss, uh, I think, uh, you know, the green pathway uh, is still at an early stage of development uh, commercially, right? Um, so I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably more, um, oh, I would say more realistic than mm -hmm. a lot of the hydrogen enthusiasts, right? Or green hydrogen enthusiasts that I think that, you know, we, we still have a way to go in order for that technology, uh, for, for the uh, electrolyzer technology to realize its full potential. Uh, meaning, you know, it would not be um, the producing uh, things at the lower cost and, and competitiveness, uh, right? Uh, because, for example, you know, when I talk to um, electrolyzer producer, they still think that there could still be uh, another 20% or 30% efficiency, so meaning you could take, uh, uh, reduce your electricity consumption by 30% uh, and still make the same amount of hydrogen, right? And that's huge because if you look at the cost of uh, green hydrogen, uh, you know, uh, about 60% is electricity. So if you save on, be able to save on that, you know, that will significantly reduce the cost. And then also you have the uh, 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 question of, you know, a lot of optimization that you could do on the renewable side as well. So on your know, wind uh, OEMs would also say they could also you know optimize their setup uh, to fit into the demand of electrolyzer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you know all in all, I think there's a lot of efficiency to be gained and the timing of that uh, to to be able to let's say you know go to our one million tons to supply enough green hydrogen to uh, to re completely replace the SMR on our one million tons um, plan. I think it would be more at the competitive price um, is going to be more in the 2030s, I would say. Mm. Okay, op optimistic, realistic? 
Yeah, let's put it I that think way. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so m- maybe I, and then I, I uh, talk about you know also then the uh, that that's why we uh, uh, and you know as a company we believe in uh, uh, immediate actions right mm. uh, or uh, uh, having taking action on the ground because uh, you know it's not that we need to reduce something by 2030. At like you know in 2030, right? The sooner you stop, like yeah. you know, the more, the more CO2 you stop from entering the atmosphere, uh, sooner the better, right? Um, and uh, so that's why you know we still think that the blue uh, pathway with carbon capture and storage uh, is still uh, an um, the, you know viable pathway in the transition uh, because there's so much um, you know capacity that is running today uh, based on natural gas and uh, so you know the first thing you should do is to immediately uh, if you can right to um, uh, capture the co2 that otherwise will be emitted to the atmosphere yeah. uh, and uh, you know have those plans because those plans will continue to run uh, for the next uh, you know so uh, better the, to uh, capture 20 the years. emissions exactly and then blue is a gateway to green while well, that is scaling exactly. up and becoming yeah. more efficient yeah. we are uh, really on the supply side now and i think um, your company is ready for the future that's what that's what you that's the feeling i get which a good feeling but now we go to the demand side and how can we make sure that the end consumers are incentivized to use these sustainable products well maybe to tie into that for the foreseeable future as han already explained sustainable alternatives will often still be a bit more expensive than their conventional counterparts so i don't know if you've by any chance read the book how to avoid a climate disaster by bill gates yeah, you've read it. Yeah, it's. Have you read it? No, not yet. It's a good read. So, uh, but he introduces a concept called the green premium, and that is the price difference between a sustainable product and its conventional counterpart. So, if there is no incentive to cover for this green premium, if let's say a farmer goes to buy fertilizer, um, if there is no incentive to cover for this green premium, the lower price of the conventional product will often lead to the, in this case, the farmer choosing that product right over the sustainable alternative. And we see this challenge in influencing purchasing decisions across many different markets and across many different types of products. And in general, there are two ways that you can approach this issue. You can to influence a level playing field between competing sustainable products on the one hand and their less sustainable counterparts on the other. You can either, as you said, approach it from the demand side perspective or you can approach it from the supply side perspective. Mm -hmm. But either way, you can use one or a mix of four instruments, norms, standards, subsidies and taxes. Okay. You're nodding, Han. You're familiar with this theory? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we, we live we live it uh, every day, let's you say, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the standards and the demand for sustainable products, do you, from your experience, uh, have had any feedback from your customers, from the customers from OCI, on what our attitude is towards pivoting towards greener products? So I would say, um, you know, the it's always coming down to the cost, right? Uh, because uh, for a company, a consumer good company to launch a new product line, uh, maybe it's going to be like, yeah, you know, a very niche product line that uh, that that uh, they could have a premium on. But for the rest, like, uh, you know, it, it's pretty much, uh, you know, the, uh, so f- I give you an example of... Um, Oh, we haven't published it yet, but uh, anyway. <laughs> so no, no, but like yeah, um, please say no, it. no, but just, just like yeah, just just to give you an example of uh, of uh, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, but um, uh, 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 you know, the just just sim- simple things, right? Um, the uh, uh, let me think about it. So 
just a, a chain. So, for example, you know, laundry powder, uh, that is, you know, we here in, in Europe don't use much anymore, but it's still widely used in uh, places like India or Southeast Asia. The powder? Right? Yeah, the laundry powder. I use it. Very good. Thank You're you very much. one of the very few people who still use it here, right? Um, and um, it, it's made from um, one of the key ingredients is called soda ash. And this is also a very um, energy-intensive base chemical as well, right? And ammonia is actually, you know, uh, part of the process. Some processes to make soda ash would use ammonia. Mm. So it contributes quite significantly to the uh, emission of uh, soda ash, right? There you go. Um, but if you think about, you know, uh, buying green ammonia, that is uh, today, you know, two times, three times more expensive than uh, the, the conventional ammonia, um, you base, uh, you know, how are you going to be able to pass that on to the average Indian consumer, mm. who first of all, you know, don't have the means to afford it. Uh, so the company would have to uh, absorb that into their costs, right? Uh, and uh, they would then, you know, face with the fact that their competitors don't have to do it, right? Because it's all voluntary. Um, so for, for I, I think, you know, depending on how you see the theory of change, right? Ultimately, for any of these things to uh, to work, uh, you would look at, you know, either a carbon tax uh, system, global carbon tax system, um, the, uh, ideally, but uh, we probably, I think we're quite far from that, right, in reality. Um, so that's, that's uh, you know, so, so that I think there's always this thinking around, you know, how do you incentivize and like, what is that catalyst? to drive the demand, especially at the early stage of uh, technology development to drastically bring down the costs over and time. Probably so it will that be it a combination be of things, right? And it will evolve over time. So yeah. it will be a combination of the norm standard subsidies and taxes to incentivize yeah. the use of sustainable goods. Yeah. It will probably need not be one instrument. No. Can we have a look in the future, Han? How do you see it for you? <laughs> so I think, um, oh, let me see. What did I put in here? Was I? Uh, uh, it just go. What's the future? What is the timeline for the future, right? Um, so I see. Um, I think uh, you know th th there's a few uh, uh, develop exciting developments. So for example, uh, you know the w w we'll see a lot of uh, uh, ammonia uh, production getting, uh, especially here production in the U.S. would get uh, decarbonized, right? Uh, because of the incentive from the IRA, uh, either new bills or existing plan is going to start implementing uh, carbon capture and storage. Um, I see also uh, you know, may maybe a bit more muted uh, or, or slower uh, development of green hydrogen and ammonia, mm -hmm. uh, but it will come, right? Uh, so maybe it's not 2030 where we have these millions of tons, but going to be 2035. I uh, sure hope so. And uh, I also see, uh, yeah, also the uh, cost will come down significantly enough that, uh, you know, you could be able to incentivize the uses uh, even to the average uh, consumer could be able to afford uh, a sustainable alternative, right? I don't think it's sustainable alternative should be a, um, a choice, uh, right? Uh, no. uh, no, it's, uh, how you put it in a in a it, it shouldn't be a moral choice. Uh, it should be what is available. There you go, Lonneke. We had an interesting conversation about a very complex topic, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the future is uh, in front of us, Lonneke. What 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 would you say? What, what what can you make of it? Can you summarize what we talked about? Yeah, I think we had a, indeed a very interesting discussion on 
the incentivization of the use of sustainable hydrogen and all products that are made using that hydrogen. And I think the, conc the concrete examples that were given by Johan really helped to make the subject more tangible. So I would really like to thank you for your contribution and your input. Thank you hey. very much, Han. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. This was Transition Talk on site, a podcast series by Accenture. My name is Harman. My name is Lonneke Tabak. And I'm Heng Nguyen. Thank you very much. You can find us on any podcast platform you like, from Spotify to Apple. We will be back soon with interesting topics on interesting locations. And in the meantime, stay safe. Stay sustainable. Stay warm.